Hi everyone and welcome to The Raw Show with Michael McDonnell and I have a very special guest. We have Laura Francis with us today. Laura, thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much, Michael. Pleasure to join you. Laura's been studying personal development since she was 15 years old. She shared a message and personal journey to inspire others to pursue and unlock their hidden potential and live in true alignment. Over the last nine years, Laura has helped conscious leaders globally to shift, stretch and grow into alignment with their true calling and is passionate about showing women how easy it is to step up, stand out and live a truly purpose-filled life. So Laura, I'd like to start with, with your background, if that's okay. So would you be able to share with me and our listeners where you were born and what it was like for you growing up? Okay, sure, Michael, that'll be fine. Um, so I grew up in country New South Wales in Australia. Um, I grew up on what we call stations and everyone else in the world calls farms. I spent <laughs> the first nine years of my life um, living on the, on the property and also going to school in the, in the city or the town that's, that's near there. Um, I am the youngest of seven children, so there's a family of nine who over the years I have um, made myself estranged from for um, various reasons, which I'm sure we'll go into on this call. Um, But with a big family um, and being in the country was wonderful um, to a degree and we had a lot of fun, but there was an extreme amount of... um, psychological, verbal and emotional, as well as physical violence that that went on in our family. Primarily, I guess, initiated by my mother, but um, it was passed on to my siblings and myself and, you know, my father, I guess, instead of um, you either either join it or you leave it, and I guess he joined it, um, you know, because of his commitment to my mother. So, you know, things weren't always necessarily easy. And for a long time, I couldn't see any good experiences um, from my childhood. So it took me ages to actually be able to recognise the good experiences that I was having, because everything seemed to be overshadowed by the negative experiences, by the violence and that kind of thing. Um, But as much as that impacted me, I still um, went ahead and married into... um, I married a man who was physically, emotionally and mentally violent, ironically, because I hadn't learnt my lessons and I hadn't done the internal work early on enough to be able to get myself past repeating those patterns. And perhaps, you know, I needed to do that as part of my journey to get me to where I'm at today. But I was in a a bad, violent relationship for 14 years and I had two children um, in that relationship. But in saying that, all of that stuff was still uh, was also the catalyst for me to become the person I am today. So when I when people say to me, you know, do you regret um, what you experienced? My answer is no. Do you wish you could change it? My answer is no. Do you wish you could go back and um, live a different life? My answer is no. Because without all of those experiences, I wouldn't be the person that I am today and I wouldn't be able to help women um, predominantly and people in general the way that I do today. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is becoming quite quite commonplace nowadays, at least, for people to, to share the the more dark parts of their, of their story because people do actually understand that that is the reason why that they are who they are and they, 
they live the life that they live today. So, yeah, I mean, if, uh, I just want to start by saying, you know, well done for getting to the other side of that. I mean, it doesn't Thank sound... Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely doesn't sound positive, to say the least. Um, so no. what... What actually led up to you deciding to leave all that behind? So obviously you started off in in the family and then you you married back into it again. But what mm. was what was the the turning point? Because I know you mentioned that you hadn't you hadn't got to a point where you could actually leave it. You were still mm. sort of in that cycle. So what what actually drew you to to actually get into the other side of those things? I think it had always been there. Um, I specifically remember as, you know, a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14, 15-year-old girl thinking, like, this shit's weird. Like, you know, like, this, this isn't how life's supposed to be. And, and I had no idea because it was as much as it was all, um, you know, really ugly in the grand scheme of things, it was all I knew. And we, my parents didn't have um, family friends, so I wasn't subjected or, or able to see the other side, if you know what I mean, right? Mm. So it took a long time. And I think one of the biggest blessings is w that happened with me was going into um, a town called Broken Hill in New South Wales, where I went to school. And I, um, you know, over the years became quite good friends with um, a particular lady. Well, she's a lady now. She was a child back then. But one of my very good friends, um, and she had a really, what I'd call a really good family. And, and I'm not saying like it was a perfect family because, you know, her, her mother was divorced and, and she was in a relationship with a doctor um, a local doctor and you know so it's not like the perfect um, family but it was a really good family and I think I was able to see um, different ways that I was actually no not I think I know I was exposed to different ways that life can be lived and how things can be easier and how people can be more patient and more understanding and still have conflicts because you know we're all individuals but being able to work through those without the the emotional, mental and physical violence, right? And I, I knew way back then that my friend Rebecca's family was my family, right? That's the family that I claimed. I felt really comfortable there. Every time I needed to get away from the violence when I was able to, I would escape to there. When I um, left home when I was 17 after a violent um, session with my mother in the, uh, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, she um, beat me at seven o'clock in the morning because I hadn't washed the dishes the night before. And I just thought, I just can't do this stuff anymore. And I left and I had no idea where I was going to go or what I was going to do. And obviously, as a 17-year-old, I wasn't financially independent either. And um, so I, I just sat in an alleyway for about 30 minutes trying to work out what the hell I was going to do, but knowing without a shadow of a doubt that I was never, ever going to move back home again. And also knowing that if I went back home after walking away from my mother, it was going to be far worse for me. Um, and so I walked up to my friend's house who was only, you know, a 10, 15 minute walk, uh, walk away from me. And her mother said, you know, you can stay the night. And then it was like, you can stay for a month or so until you find your feet and get some government support in place and that kind of thing. And from there on, I was on my own, right. And which was great, but that really helped me see the other side, but I hadn't, I still was so immersed in all I knew that when I was nine, oh, 18, I ended up in a relationship with my former husband and um, I hadn't had time to grow and to heal and to learn what I needed to. And 
um, you know, I wasn't necessarily the best person either. So as much as he was violent and abusive, I was also violent and abusive, although my behaviour wasn't physical, okay? So um, this is why I get... Um, I don't believe that it's right for people to blame everything on their, their partner for all of the situation because I think we're all accountable for our own actions and for the part we play in a relationship. And, and you know, I'm not saying it's right for somebody to abuse us at all, but half the time we're doing the abuse ourselves to ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, yeah. And so was, was there anything in particular that was obviously the, I mean... I, I would imagine at least that, that you found ways of at least combating the things that were that were, that were done to you. You you could have you could have like came up with certain things that allowed you to essentially fight back. But you said that it wasn't it wasn't physical. So so what what sort of things did you notice that that you did? Uh, so I was abusive, and mm. um, you know instead of instead of. Um, Instead of doing what I do now, which is living in my power and, you know, if something's not aligned with me, if it doesn't feel right for me, I walk away from it or, or you know, I, I express that it's not right for me and I certainly wouldn't be in a relationship like that now. Um, I didn't know the right way to do it and I had to learn. Um, I had no really good role models, I guess, you know, around me. And, and my ex-husband um, secluded me away, isolated me away from people. So it was really just me and him and his family. So that, again, is all I knew. And I had two young children and I guess I got to a point, I'm not really sure how to answer that properly for you, Michael, because it was a culmination of a, a, a gazillion things like instances and circumstances and, and behaviours that, you know, I was constantly knowing that it wasn't right, but I didn't know how to change it. But then although, you know, I knew that I needed to be out of the situation, I didn't know how to take myself out of the situation. I mean, I know, um, you know, you, you walk away and you leave, which is ultimately what I did, but my head wasn't in the right place. And it was like I was always trying to make things right and believing that it would get better and not even knowing. And it wasn't a matter of not believing in myself I didn't know to believe in myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's, it's almost like you, you didn't trust that, that you'd be able to handle it, so to speak, or, or, or was there more to it? Yeah, I think there's that. Um, but I was, I was also terrified, right? Because when you're in a situation like that, and I do say this to people, I find that when you leave a situation like that, it's often, often a lot more frightening. And I think that's what keeps a lot of women in particular, or even men who are in domestic violence relationships, right? I think that's what keeps them there is because it's, you know, it's that old saying which we're raised with, which is really stupid in the end because it, it does brainwash you and sets you up for a bad mindset. It's better the devil you know. Right, so you stay stuck in comfortable discomfort instead of going out and being in um, being completely uncomfortable and stepping into new territory. You stay with what you know, and that's what I did for a long time. And I had the excuses, which were stories handed down from my parents, is that you know you don't take children out of their family. You keep the family unit close together. Um, it doesn't matter what happens. You've got to stay together. You're married, so regardless of what goes on, you need to be able to just put up with it, and you've got to just suck it up and toughen up and. And, you know, don't be such a pussy and, and so many things. Like, there's just so many things. But in the end, 
I was doing exactly what I declared that I would never, ever do. And I mean, I never, ever actually wanted children, but I got pregnant out of my own lack of preparation, I guess, and caution. And, um, and I don't at all regret having my children, but it wasn't in my grand plan, right? And I didn't want children primarily because I didn't want to be the person that was on pattern repeat. And I ended up being the person that was on pattern repeat and I could see it and I could feel it and I knew I was living it, but it wasn't until a certain episode when my ex-husband, um, who was beating, it was probably the worst beating that I had um, experienced with him. And he threw me into the wardrobe in my daughter's bedroom and my daughter was in there and then he picked me up and he threw me into the window and she's bolted up the street. She's run out. She was six years old and seven years old and she's run out up the street trying to escape from it. And like it really, it freaked her out and I've just gone and there was a lot more to it than that. But I've just gone like, what the hell am I doing? This is it. I am done. And I don't know why it took so long fundamentally but i guess you know we each have our own journey and we have to you know sometimes we have to slam a door in our own faces a million times before we all let it open and i think that's what happened with me but at that point i decided right there and then that was it i guess one of the things is when you grow up in a situation or an environment like that your tolerance for that is greater than someone who doesn't grow up in that environment so whereas someone who's not been in a domestic violence family or an abusive relationship, they will walk away sooner. I was much more tolerant and accepting of the behaviour because it was my normal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, th thanks for, for sharing that and, and, and being quite open about that because obviously there are so many people that, that, that do actually keep it inside. So, yeah, th thanks for sharing a bit more of the, the detail behind that, uh, Laura. What was the... What was the initial steps then? So, so you decided that this is it. I'm, I'm not doing this again. What, what, what were the next steps for you and, and how did you get to the other side of that? Well, I had to go up the street and rescue my daughter who was roaming aimlessly and I came back into the house and I just looked at my ex-husband and I said, that's it. I'm fucking done. And so, of course, he lost his mind again and I've just decided, it didn't even matter, Michael, what happened from there on. I'd made my decision and I just knew without a shadow of a doubt that come hell or high water, I was out of there. It took two months because we weren't in a good financial situation. So I had to stay in the house or actually maybe I didn't have to, right? Maybe I just chose to stay in the house because of what I knew as well. So perhaps I was still continuing the saga unintentionally, but intentionally, do you know what I mean? Um, and so I then... Um, I decided that because I was, I had a really good job at that time. So I was a lot more empowered. Um, I was, I knew I'd be okay financially regardless. And I went and found a, a place for myself and the girls to live. And I had to do all of that, obviously quite secretively because he was, you know, stalking every move and action that I made. And, and so I went ahead and I did that and um, he didn't work very often at all during our relationship. And, it just so happened that he was working at the time. And so one day while he was at work, I just packed up all of my things and grabbed the girls and I walked out the door, which made him really angry. Um, but irrespective of that, I knew, I knew I was going to be okay. I decided that I was going to be okay. And I decided that it didn't matter what came 
after that, after leaving him, after telling him that I was going to leave and then after leaving him that I was leaving regardless and that nothing was going to get in the way of that. And so I had made sure that I was able to um, move myself and the girls out in safety, but there was a lot more that came after that. And it wasn't until him and I went through our divorce and we got parenting orders in place for the kids and, and that kind of thing. And, and he didn't participate in any of that, um, that he realized that he had absolutely no more control over me. So he actually um, abandoned the children and just disappeared for a couple of years. And that was when things got a little bit easier for me from a mental perspective, because I do recall there was one night after I'd left him, he, he sent me over a hundred text messages and called me nearly 200 times. Um, and mind you, I'd switched off phones and that kind of thing, but the records were showing that he'd made the calls. But um, yeah, like, so there was a lot, a lot of fierce um, control still going on and, and it did get worse after I left him, which is what I'd anticipated. Um, there was some violent outbursts um, in the streets where he threw me into the um, shop front of um, the real estate office where we were renting and tried to choke me at the, at the bank and, uh, you know, a variety of things, but it just didn't seem to matter. I just, I'd just gotten my head into the space where I was done and I was going to be okay. And I just, I believed in myself and just believed in, in the fact that there was always going to be something better and that I deserved more and that I was worth more. And I refused to let anything get in the way of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you mentioned in the, in the bio that you started going down the personal development path when you were 15. So, mm. so what was that like? What, what sort of things did you do? I mean, I'd imagine that that played some part in your ability to, to cope with the situation. I mean, would you say that was the case? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a matter of learning what else there was apart from what I knew. And um, you know, like I said, I was, the family environment was quite isolated. And um, so all I knew was that, that violence and, and, you know, uh, you know, I think it's Helsinki syndrome, isn't it? Where, you know, you kidnapper, um, you end up becoming, you know, reliant on your kidnapper and, and, you know, you end up, you defend them and that kind of thing. That's the mm. kind of thing that I used to do with my family was their behavior was okay because that's, that was my family and you loved them come hell or high water. And, and, you know, I kind of had that defence also with my ex-husband, but I would start to get in when I was 15, I started to see what was going on around and trying to wrap my head around the whole new concept of a different kind of life. And which is, it's quite a big thing. Um, you know, it might sound unbelievable, but it's quite a big thing to be able to completely step outside of every single thing that you know and, develop a, an entirely new concept of what reality can be, um, which is what I had to do. And so I started lightly treading into the personal development um, side of things and, and reading, you know, what, what else might be out there and studying into, into psychology a little. And yes, it took me another 15 years before I really grasped absolutely everything. I still obviously went through a hell of a journey. But um, I think had I not started back then, that, that journey would still have been dragged out for quite a few more years. So, um, you know, I did a lot of reading and the mindset work really came in years later. But personal development, as in like just starting to know that I was, you know, to understand that there was such a thing as self-worth and that there was such a thing as self-development and self-belief and that kind of thing, that started when I was um, 15. 
although I probably knew all of that when I was much younger, it was, it was, I guess, brainwashed out of me. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where that went. All right. Awesome. So what, what process did you go through then to, to essentially train that back into yourself then? So you mentioned that it was brainwashed out of you. How, how yeah. did you manage to train it back into you to, to almost re- rekindle this, this self-worth belief in yourself? Yeah. Um, again, a journey. You know, none of this stuff, I believe, happens overnight. I don't believe you make a decision one night and then the next morning everything's roses, right? I think that's just a fallacy. And, and you know, it might happen for some people, but I've, I've not known of anyone who, who that's happened with. So, but it was... It was a journey and it was, it, was, um, it was going out and being persistent in my career development. It was educating myself so that I, um, I was worth more to an employer, you know, simple things like that, which gave me um, a lot of self-worth. And I learned in the workplace that I was, I was almost irreplaceable and I used to always get called Miss Efficiency or the, or the go-to get-it-done girl because no matter what was given to me, I would always just focus on that. The reason I would, I would go so deeply into focusing on it and performing so well is that I needed that gratification. I needed that significance and I wouldn't that anywhere else. And I ended up having to thrive on that significance, right? And... I think all of us, no matter where we're at in our lives, we, we're human beings. We want to feel wanted, needed, loved and significant. And that going into the workforce um, and, and, you know, I started very much from the ground up. I used to clean toilets and for a living. Um, and even up to only 15 years ago, I was cleaning toilets for a living, right? Um, and working in hospitality and that kind of thing. And so you kind of... I used to get this, what I called the Cinderella complex. It's like I'd, I'd go to work all day and I'd feel like I was just doing the shittest jobs, which literally I was cleaning toilets and, and doing <laughs> housekeeping in hotels and that kind of thing um, and working in hostel, hospitality in pubs where you're getting, you know, the most lewd comments and behaviours and, and that kind of thing. Um, but you, I... I I knew I was better than all of that and I kept striving for more. And even when I was with my ex-husband, he's just saying, uh, you know, I remember one of the things when I was headhunted once I I started 15, 16 years or 17 years ago working in um, business and, and actually it wasn't that long ago. It was, it was probably only 14 years ago working in business out of hospitality and I got headhunted by the opposition um, to go and, and work in a sales and marketing role where I was only a, an admin person at the previous position. And his comment was um, pretty vile, really, and basically that the only reason I was getting the job was because the guy wanted to have sex with me. And it's just like, really? Like, that's all you think I'm worth? And it just like it reinforced in me how much I actually, or it highlighted, I should say to me, how much I actually believed I was worth. And it highlighted my own level of self-worth to me and which made me just think even less of him and therefore empowered me more and more. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's definitely a, a case of this, this slow, this, this, this slow progress almost. Like you, you start, to, you start to get certain signs, don't you, as well? You start to see yeah. signs and... Because yeah, you don't I mean, the, know what you're seeing, Michael. That's the thing. Like, the, the, as much as the signs are there, 
earlier on, if you're not ready to receive them, you, you won't see them. You won't recognise them for what they are because you only know what you know. Yeah, it, it sort of reminds me of, um, I can't even remember the book, but, but basically it was um, a study where they did on cats where they, they just showed them horizontal bars when they were younger. And yeah. then when they go out in, into the world, they can't actually see vertical bars because it's all right. they knew is was horizontal and they actually walked into the, into the bars, you know. I so can relate to that completely. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's having that. It's having that, that that sense of sometimes all you know is all you can see, which sort of goes yes. back to to what you said. So, so what what events led up to to you deciding to, to help others with with their businesses? Then, so you you mentioned sales and marketing and things, and mm. and I, I would imagine you got quite good at that before you then decided to do something else. I mean, I, I could be completely wrong. You could have no, decided to... No, you're not completely to... wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I worked in um, a variety of industries. So I did retail, hospitality, aviation. I did a variety of things. And I, I was really good at it. And, um, but the thing is, I was just an employee and you're very disposable. And I don't like being disposable, but primarily, I guess, because... Um, that's not how anyone should be treated, but that's how I was treated for a long time. Like I didn't matter and I wanted to matter. And I decided that if I couldn't matter to anyone else, the most important person in the world for me to matter to is myself, which ironically, but probably not so ironically is the truth of life. Really. Um, we have to love ourselves and value ourselves first before we can be valued by others. Right. And mm -hmm. so while I was allowing myself to be um, disposable, I was. And when I decided that I was no longer disposable, I wasn't. Um, and so I actually got made redundant twice in two years and I'd never actually been fired from a job. I would leave them and go on to the next best job. But I was made redundant twice in two years and I decided after the second one, that's it. I'd given absolutely everything and there was people doing less that were, were retained and I just thought, I can't work with idiots anymore. I can't work with people who don't appreciate people who give everything for, for the cause, if you know what I mean. And um, I decided that I was just never, ever going to be an employee again. And I started a VA business and as much as I struggled a little bit, I built a really successful business and I resisted the mindset side of things for so long because it, it became trendy and I'm not a trendy kind of person, right? I don't, I don't follow trends. I don't follow other people. I'm, I'm very much an independent person. And it's like everybody's, everybody and their auntie seemed to be doing mindset work. And it's like, oh, I can't do mindset work. But while I wasn't doing the mindset work, I was still studying on the mindset work. And I, I mean, I've got hundreds and hundreds of books and, 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 you know, done, done, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on trainings as well and coaching and that kind of thing. And, and as much as I tried to dress it up in other clothes, everything I was doing was mindset related. And it doesn't matter whether it's, um, messaging, marketing, um, sales calls or, or anything else. It's all related to mindset. And I find that the best way to get people across the line on a sales call or even in a sales conversation via chat is to do mindset work on them, right? To work them through their belief systems and their limited thinkings and their resistance and that kind of thing. So it took me a long, long time. And, and, and to be completely honest with you, it's only 
around this time last year or perhaps a month or two earlier that I, I, I let go and I just let it be what it is and I accepted the isness of it and it's like I am, I do mindset. I, I do mindset and I'm great at it and I'm passionate about it and, you know, I don't vibe, not everybody vibes with my message and my, my passion and my purpose and, and, and who I am and that's okay but there's plenty of people who do and I, I you know, it's, some people might say I fell into it but I resisted it for a very, very long time before I allowed it to be the truth that it is. Right. So uh, I'm, I'm curious to, to know how how you came to the conclusion that, that everything is mindset. So a lot of people do seem to have, do seem to have a distinction between them, but you, you mentioned that, you know, it's all, it's all about mindset. So would you be able to, to paint that picture for our listeners then, how, how everything became about mindset for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, you know, when I said to you earlier about, you know, I made the decision, I, I made the, the conscious decision that, um, that, you know, I was going to leave until I actually made that decision to leave my ex-husband. I was never going to leave. So it was what I was thinking and believing and, 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 you know, that was my truth. And when I decided to think and believe something else, that became my truth. And um, that's just one example. And, um, and you know, it, it's just like every single step of my my growth be it from you know being a 17 year old and leaving my mother it all come down to a decision that was made well decisions are made by your mind not by your brain and so your brain is the you know it's the doing part but every all the thinking is really done by the mind the, the brain doesn't think so everything throughout my life has always come back to I've actually decided to, to, well, I've chosen to make a decision to take a different set of actions. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like there's, there's something, something that happens before we actually make the decision. So everything yeah. that, that you've told me, everything that you, you sort of gone through with me today is that, we have we have to come to a certain point. We have a certain a certain limit of how much we are prepared to whether you, you want to say put up with or yeah. settle for yeah. or whatever like, the case is before we then make like, that decision. Yeah, absolutely. I think you get to a certain level of stuckness, as, which is one of my favourite words, and then you come to a certain level of enoughness, right? And, and it's like, as I, as I often say in my messaging, like when is enough a fucking enough, right? And it's when you've decided that enough is enough that you will actually choose to make a different decision and take different actions to create a different outcome. Right, so well, how, how would you say people actually came up with came up with their limit then so obviously there's there's a level of awareness that, that goes into it but have you got any suggestions that, that people might be able to take away with actually try and discover what that limit is i think everybody's limit is different right and, and it's not something you can just say right that's it you've drawn a, you need to draw a line in the sand right now people have to be ready themselves but actually in saying that they have to be pre-ready. So I think you can't actually make a decision to draw a line in the sand until you're almost ready to take that step. You don't draw a line in the sand and then you, you take that next step um, immediately. There's like a little moment and that could be, you know, that moment might be 
literally seconds or it might be hours or days and you think about it and then I think it, it's you start to evaluate yourself and and you know for me I had a client ask me recently um I'll see if I can actually pull it up on Facebook because it, I, I had to come up with like the best answer for it. I'm, all, I'm a big believer in ask an honest question, get a, get an honest answer. Right. Mm. And um, so I always try to answer as fully as I possibly can. So I'll just pull this up if you don't mind. And I'll just read you um, what I said to her. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Go for it. So she asked me, just pull this up in messenger. Um, what's your story, Laura? How did you reach that point of freedom and of not giving a rat's razoo about what other people think? I've struggled with that for an entire lifetime. And although I think I may be close to reaching that point now, I, uh, you know, I really fucking hope so. And I think this, although she's talking about like, um, not, not caring what other people think, I think this is reflective across all, all the areas that we've been covering. And mm -hmm. I've just, I said to her, uh, the secret is in dropping the need to please everyone and be liked by everyone. It's about being fucked over too many times in too many ways. It's about giving until it hurts only to learn that you're the only one giving them and that those you're giving to are constantly taking. It's about knowing that you're better than them. It's about knowing that you're better than that. And it's about um, and that you are worthy of more than what you are getting experiencing right now. It's about standing up for yourself and not letting anyone kick you around mentally, physically and emotionally. It's about knowing that you are deserving of more and of better. And it's about so many things, about so much stuff, about life experiences versus life ex expectations with a, a few sprinkles of fuck them, fuck that, fuck off and fuck me's thrown in too. It's about <laughs> your, your cup running over um, with giving a fuck and then it becomes about you surrendering to the truth that that, that is and saying, fuck it all, I'm fucking done. Right, so, so, so obviously there's, there's this element of, of, of grey area then. So yeah. you, you, might, you might have this thing where I'm not quite at my limit yet, but yeah. it really is quite bad. So would you yeah. suggest people actually get to their limit or would you suggest people take the action before they actually get there? Ideally, they'd take to the action before they actually get to the limit. But... From my experience, people have to get to their limit and their cup runneth over with that before they actually go, no, nah, I'm done. I just can't anymore. Mm. All right. So I, think, it, I think it is different, you know, from individual to individual. And like you said, there's a grey area. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like you, you get the impression that people won't actually take the action until they hit their limit so you, you see a lot of people that do do tend to settle for things and do tend to put up with things just because yeah. they've not they've not hit their limit yet you know it's not That's got right. so bad it's not yeah. got so bad where they have to turn around and say i'm done i'm leaving this is this is the action i'm now going to take so yeah. why, why, why why do you think that is i think I think because, I mean, there's a, I mean, obviously that's a pretty big question in the grand yeah. scheme of things, but um, I think doing, the, the, uh, doing anything else is educated out of us, right? We are taught to stick in. We are taught to, to go to the nth degree. We are taught to, to just suck it up. We are taught to um, just go with the flow. We are taught to stick in there. We're taught so many things, even though um, on the other end of that, 
as human beings, as universal beings, we actually know that it's not right for us. We feel that by doing what is right for us, we're failing other people and we're taught that we can't fail other people because when we fail other people, we fail the world as a whole. And it's irrelevant whether we're... um, It's not important that we stand up and put ourselves first. And I think the only time anything changes is when we actually do stand up and put ourselves first. Does that make sense? I hope that answers your question in part because it is a big question. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that a lot of people do do tend to think about. You know, they tend to think about others more than they more than they do think about themselves. But there's and that's there's ingrained there. in us, Michael. We're taught to be like that, right? Like we're taught to be like that from every, from a very early age. Like even as young children, it's like, oh, don't pick your nose because that's embarrassing to the family when you're sitting there with grandma at the dinner dinner table, right? Yeah, but then well. But they they might actually word it in such a way that it, it puts it on them versus yes. versus the the family or but, yes. you, you, you see it quite a lot, don't you? Where they, yes. the way that they where do they actually communicate the thing? They, it's the they blame, kind of, right? They actually put it on themselves, yeah. Yeah, it's the blame, and and like we get sick of being blamed, so we try to do things where we're not going to get blamed, or you know, particularly when I know, um, like for me personally. Everything felt so incongruent when I was growing up and when I was married and when I was really trying to discover myself because it's like, here's the person that everyone else was saying I was, but here's the person that I believed that I was, but I was so conflicted because what everybody else said that I was seemed to be so much stronger and bigger and uglier and scarier and dominant than, than who I actually was. And so discovering or allowing myself to peel back the layers you know, to strip the layers off the onion, so to speak, to get back to the person that I actually was and decide I'm actually done with, you know, putting everyone else's needs, wants, desires, wishes and, and insecurities before myself. It's when I did that that I was actually able to start stepping up and stepping out as the person that I am. How, how, how do you feel, Laura, about um, the, the, the implications of that? So there's there's this there's this whole scenario that can happen whereby yes you put yourself first which is which is fine but then mm. there are also people out there that you still might might vibe with when you do that which then makes life easy for you because you don't have to change you don't have to try to please everyone because pleasing yourself does the same job but then you've got this element of people could still end up being alone because they've put themselves first and they understand that they'll end up empty if they don't do that. So how, mm. how, how, how do you feel about that situation? What are your thoughts? Well, I think, I think again, that's personal choice, right? And that comes down to, um, to what you will allow yourself to believe and what you already do believe, right? So if you're not prepared to... So, you know, for me, for example, I walked away from my entire family 17 plus years ago. Okay, I knew that by walking away from them, I was going to be able to step into my power and be happier and live a more fulfilled life. But not only that, I was actually going to be able to provide a better life for my children and open them up to new ways of thinking, doing and being. And same when I left my ex-husband, I knew that by making that move, as scary as that was and as as much as the people who disagreed with me and who, who would fall in my life, I was down with that. 
right? Because as I said with that, that um, message that I just read to you that I'd answered that lady's question, it's yeah. like it, it comes to a point of surrendering to the truth that, that is and it's, it's saying, you know, fuck it all, I'm done. Like what about we want? What about, what about living our life to the fullest? What about um, stepping up for ourselves and being the most empowered beings that we can be? What about being fully purposeful? What about being fully passionate? What about being completely unashamed to be honest with who you are? And, and you know what, even shedding skin, shedding layers of, of parts of yourself that you don't even like, but you've, carrying them, you've been carrying them around forever because that's what was put on you. Like you've, you're carrying societies and your families and your friends and your leaders baggage right yeah definitely so what what are the effects of this then so so when we start to be a bit more honest with ourselves and we start to to remove some of these layers which as you said you know they could actually be quite quite burden on yeah. us they could be quite a burden they could be quite yeah. heavy so before we get into the the last couple of questions laura what what what, what are the actual effects of this what sensations did you feel what what sort of life did you then start to live? How, how did you actually start to see things? Love, liberation and freedom. As simple as that? I think, I think fundamentally when you take, take all the fluff away, um, look, there's, 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 well, you know, the only two fears human beings are born with, right, are um, a fear of falling and a fear of um, loud noises. Everything else is a story that's been handed down to us from generation to generation, which was handed down generation to generation before that. And it's all bullshit. So when you actually take all of that emotion out of it and you actually start to, let's say, give a fuck about you first and you put yourself completely first and you put yourself on the pedestal and it's like, this is my life and I am actually the highest power in my life. I think then you open yourself up to allowing yourself to receive more of the good. And so more of the good for me is love, joy, freedom, happiness, and, um, you know, liberation, which, which is ultimately, I think liberation and freedom comes at the end of, allowing yourself to actually have all of the other things. And they're all the things that we deny ourselves. And human beings, as, as, as beings that we are, the one thing that everybody seeks is freedom. But it's freedom that's actually stripped away from us when we follow all of those other belief systems, when we hide behind fears, when we're doing what everybody else wants us to do and not doing, uh, you know, not filling our cups and not, not um, doing, living our life on purpose and following our passions and, and you know, creating the life that we desire and you know there's it was I guess it's different for per, from person to person Michael but for me I'd had enough of all of the shit right and and I decided that everybody who I was worried about not pleasing by doing what I wanted to do they were never going to be pleased anyway it didn't matter what I did so I might as well just put myself first and it's, it's, I think it, it's very empowering. It's, it's filling your heart and your soul with love and it doesn't matter then what anyone else says, does or, or how they behave. You love yourself and nothing can really crack that shell, right? It's like you, love is the biggest armour, the, the toughest armour of all. And when I actually shed all of that shit and dropped all of that stuff out of my life, I actually opened myself up to better relationships with lovers, with friends, with, 
people as a whole, with um, clients, with colleagues, with everything. And I think you, you then start to attract, well, not I think, I know, you then start to attract more of the good, more of the, the joy, the happiness, the love, the, the, all of that stuff into your life because you're no longer immersing yourself in all of the yuck. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's almost like you're, you're making way for the good by getting rid of the bad. Absolutely. Yeah, because while ever you're carrying the bad, you can't, uh, you can't attract the good. And if you do attract the good, you're likely to push it away because you're not quite sure that you can actually do that because you're afraid to take ownership of that being your truth, right? Yeah, definitely. All right, Laura. So we're, we are getting to the end. We are nearing the, the end. So we just want to say thanks for, for sharing the story that you had. I mean, there's, there might be people out there listening that, that might have some some assumptions about about you or, you know, the, the, the types of things that, that you do and the way that you live. But from someone that's, that has been, been seeing what you're up to and all those kinds of things, I, I do have a bit more of an, an understanding of, of why that yes. you've done what you've done so yeah i just want to uh just want to say well done for, for taking the time to share that thanks so much michael it's been a pleasure so do you have do you have any any resources or i mean, I mean there's there's quite a few books on things like mindset now but what, what what would you say your your go-to ones are for people that actually want to want to pursue things like mindset or or psychology a little bit further I, one, of the, one of the books that was a big game changer for me, and I've read it several times, was Eckhart Tolle. People do call him Eckhart Tolle. Um, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. Um, and it's literally about focusing on this present moment and understanding that the past is the past and that the future doesn't exist yet and that all we've got is now. Um, also, I think it's important to understand our values. And one of the books that I read recently, actually on my trip over to Bali a month ago, was Mark Manson, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And, and that, that might sound um, a little bit out there, but it's actually about choosing the values that are important to you fundamentally. And it's, it's the counter, um, the part of the subtitle is a counterintuitive approach to living a good life, I think. Um, I think I, I go very much into the spirituality with mindset, not just, um, not just the psychology behind the mindset, right? So um, I'm very much into, and it's not like I'm, um, I'm not a hippie and I'm not one of those, I don't know how to even describe it. I used to think woo-woo was different to what I think of it now. I don't consider myself exceptionally woo-woo, but everybody's going to have a different perception of what that actually is. So... Mm-hmm. But I, I really like to go into books that expand your mind and, and um, challenge your thinking um, and challenge you to, you know, really um, look into yourself and they're thought-provoking. So I think those two books are actually a couple of really good ones um, to get into. Anything by um, Dr. Wayne Dyer, um, Eckhart Tolle, uh, oh, so many um, who else? Deepak Chopra, I, I guess. You know, they're, they're game-changing books. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually surprised that you've not read the sort of art be, be before. It's especially too. knowing what I know about you now, it's kind of like, surely that, that'd be the first book she'd read. Uh, no, literally, literally, I've, I saw it about 12 months ago and it's, it's, I probably bought it about four months ago. But like I said, I buy, I buy about um, a dozen books a month. 
and I don't always get time to, to read them. So I've got a bit of a backlog. So I've just had a month in Bali where I've gotten through quite a few. And that was, I read that on my flight over. It's a six hour flight. So it's a 200 page book. So I read that on my flight over. And, and that's, a, that's a real game changing book. And because people do often don't understand what their values are or even what a value is. And it's a really, I mean, there's various ways of looking at what our values are, but I think that's a really good first step. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, before I ask the, the last question, Laura, how would you, how would you like people to, to find out more about you and what you've got going on? This is your, your chance to share websites and things. Where, where, where can people go? Okay. Um, People can go to my website, which is www.laurafrancis.com.au. Um, I am on Instagram, which is Laura underscore Francis, K-A-M, so for kick-ass marketing, um, or on Facebook, which is um, Laura Francis, and you'll recognise me easily by my head, which is my hair, which has a shaved side. <laughs> Facebook is pretty much where I spend most of my time. It's also where I get most of my business. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, for our, for our last question, um, yeah. it's a little bit of a, a curveball, but I'm sure you'll be able to handle it quite well. Sure. Uh, and it's, what would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know? I would like the world to know that when you read my message or you hear my message, that the fear that comes up in you is actually more about you than about me. I'm actually a big ball of love. And when I um, work with my clients, I love really hard. And there's not a client of mine that I've worked with or even coaches or mentors that wouldn't say, uh, that would say anything otherwise. I love hard. I love fiercely. I love loyally. And I go all the way in. And that's exactly what I ask of my clients. All right, Laura. Well, thanks again for sharing your story there's a lot of notes that, that, that i've taken there a lot of things that i'm sure people will will use to to their benefit i am definitely going to to reread those books um <laughs> and yeah i'm sure we'll speak again soon thanks for being a guest on the show thank you so much michael